Cohen. Thanks for giving us your time today. I'm Ian Hamilton in New York, joined by David Heaney from London Broadcasting for us today. For those of you just joining us, I'm wearing a Quest Pro with face and eye tracking to convey some of my emotions. My hands are tracked by the headset, but our minds have been shaken by some major news coming our way. We are recording this week two of 2024 as we discuss the next steps of personal computing. David, what do we have today? Yeah, we have a lot to talk about today. It's CES week and we're getting some directly CES related news and others that are just dropping in the midst of CES. So we'll first talk about what we didn't have time to talk about last week, the groundbreaking UEVR mod that adds VR support to almost any modern Unreal Engine game. We'll then talk about Xreal Air 2 Ultra, the true AR glasses powered by the Samsung Galaxy S23 or S22 via USB-C. We'll talk about the news that just dropped and that delayed our broadcast here a little bit, which is HTC's full face tracker add-on for the Vive XR Elite headset. We'll then talk a lot about the Apple Vision Pro news. We'll talk about, you know, the revelation that the release date is February 2nd and that pre-orders open next Friday. We'll talk about that alternative head strap that Apple is going to include in the box, potentially to solve for some comfort issues with the front heaviness. We'll talk about that first ad for Vision Pro that was just dropped that tells the world to get ready to put on a headset. And we'll talk about Apple telling developers that they can't describe their Vision Pro apps as VR, AR, MR, or XR. We'll then finish by talking about the Snapdragon XR2 Plus Gen 2 chipset, that new higher-end chipset that was announced last week. And we'll talk about the headsets that are going to use it. So that's Samsung's headset it's building in partnership with Google. And Sony's just announced spatial content creation headset as well as the other three users. So we have a lot to talk about today. Yeah, this is going to be a massive episode. I wonder how long we're going to go. Please bear with us. Take a breather. Take a break. Come back if it's too long. I'm just thinking about how we're going to get into this first subject, the UEVR mod, right? This dropped on New Year's Day and was hard for us to, to catch up with, right? We were all enjoying with our families we weren't at our desks to try out the ue vr mod right on that day so we've had a few days to get around to seeing everything that's capable in that mod and it looks it looks like a lot of vomit inducing content and that's going to make some people very 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 happy David, what is your experience here? If you are someone who's very sensitive to vection and you get VR sickness from that, this isn't going to be the experience for you in most cases. But if you aren't that kind of person, if you're someone who loves to play all of the conversions for old games like Quake and you love to play fast-paced VR, this is this is great. If you're someone who is the kind of PC gamer that loves the PC gaming platform because you live for having to configure the game for 15 minutes or an hour before you play. And I, I do mean that in, in the best possible way. And you love to try and tweak every aspect of things to get the best experience. If you're fine with that, if you're the, the opposite of the console mindset person that wants something to just plug and play and work, you're going to have a, a field day with this. It really is a case of one of those systems that is what you make it so by default you this is going to inject 
VR support with sixed off head tracking. You know, you can physically positionally move your head into any Unreal Engine 4.8 or above game. And, and that includes Unreal Engine 5. To get more than that, more than just that, and in some games, rotational controller tracking, you need to do some configuration yourself. You need to use this feature within the mod called U Object Hook, where, where you actually set up which entity within the game that your controllers are affecting. And once you go through this kind of setup, there are some games that are beyond the production value of anything that you see on a VR store that's made for VR, but you're getting it with VR positional tracking. And this is a probably a watershed moment for PC gaming for the kind of people who enjoy this kind of configuration and, and sort of friction to get in. I just wonder what effect is it going to have on the PC VR market? Is this going to be a good thing that, that encourages developers to see, oh, well, if this mod can bring my game into VR and people are loving it, maybe I should just enable the support itself because this isn't doing anything magical. What this is doing is essentially forcing the game to enable Unreal Engine's built-in VR support and then you know doing a little bit of automatic polish. But that's something developers could, in theory, do themselves. Yeah, I like it. It's built-in support. Like so, so you're telling me that by by Unreal Engine kind of like leaving it to devs, does that make it easier to retrofit a whole swath of games in one sitting for VR? Comment from Blair here, and I'm seeing all of our audience from across the United States. Very chilly out there in various parts of the United States. Thank you for tuning in. I love to see our global audience, and of course, if you're watching in VR, that's amazing. Uh, you know, fist bump your your nearest uh, avatar because you're in the right place. We'll debate the terminology later. We're not going to lead off with that. And uh, the people that I know watching in our comments do not want us to dive into that debate. They're making jokes about it in our comments, but I'm not going to take the bait. I talked to Tim Sweeney over the years. I've heard him say very big things about AR as a potential platform for Unreal Engine, for Epic. This is coming right as Unity, its main competitor laid off an additional quarter of its staff, just mind-boggling number of people just shown the door overnight. And that's the biggest competitor for what this work is. And there is, yeah, your question about PC and Blair's comment about it adding friction. Um, it's <laughs> Blair saying they're walking to the gym in a snowstorm. I think it's really important to contrast the weather outside all the time with what it's like to go into VR because... It's it is a cozy place when you do it right, right? It's like a, it's a it's a safe place where you can control the temperature a little bit, and then you go outside from time to time into the ever changing weather, and it's quite a contrast. I think we just lost Ian temporarily there. He uh, may have disconnected. I think he's still getting his connection set up at his, his new place. He's moved to. Any viewers in recent weeks will know Ian has just moved. One of the things I'd say about this is one of my favorite things about UAVR is the way it automatically moves the game's UI into 3D, as in it just overlays that 2D UI on a, a projected panel in front of you. That's something that you may almost not notice it's doing if you just kind of launch in. But if you that is actually something that is happening under the hood. And if they didn't do that, you would just see this kind of face-locked, full-screen UI that you have to move your eyes around to see rather than moving your head. So it's, it's, a, it's a very nice touch that it does that. And anyone who has been around in this space, the, the VR, the XR, the whatever you want to call it space for around 10 years now will know that there used to be this tool called Vorpex 
that promised the same kind of thing with, with almost any DirectX game and even some OpenGL games. But this is far, far beyond what Vorpex ever did. I, I was never happy with the result I got from Vorpex. I, I thought it was a very disappointing tool. But what do you get from here? As someone who I've been very skeptical of these kind of mods, this kind of rapidly and non-intentionally port a traditional game to VR. I, I've been very skeptical, but the result here is remarkably impressive. I think Ian so, is back now. Yeah, my question here is how different is this from the work that's being done to retrofit the classic Valve games, Half-Life 2, things like that? How different is this work from that. So mods like the one for Half-Life 2, like the one for Quake and Doom and like the one for Portal 2, those are a better experience because those modders are intentionally going into each of these games, adding track controller support, tweaking and polishing for it to work really, really well with that game. Whereas this is a generalized tool. The magic in this is that it works with almost any Unreal Engine game that's released in the, the last few years. But that's obviously also the disadvantage. This tool has no specific knowledge of each game. Though you do have people sharing profiles for each game now. There are obviously, there's obviously a very active UEVR community on Discord that are sharing their profiles and people are coming together to, in a community way, make sure that you do get a, a per game setup. But again, that's something, it's akin to almost... Steam input profiles or Steam Workshop, where this is something where you're still doing a little bit of effort, but it's it's assisted by other people that have tried it before with each game. You fell for my trap. That's where I was leading us to to talk about Steam Workshop and how it might compare to what Unreal Engine offers as a platform to developers. Epic did a lot of work to get people to download the Epic Game Store over on PC by offering a free game each month. But it's actually kind of a nuisance to some people to have that installer on their system relative to Steam or some of the other systems they might use to manage their games. And we've talked a lot about the need for collective comfort settings. The idea that I think John Carmack has talked about of system level comfort settings. If you applied that to something like this tool or had an additional layer to this tool that adjusted things like vignetting on the fly or with motion, you could have all of these games get much more comfortable over time in a very serious way. I think of that a lot when it comes to alternative ways this PC market could have formed if not buoyed or transformed by the billions of dollars Meta spent to launch the Quest App Store standalone. I'd still just say if you're the kind of person that does get VR movement sickness, even when these tools do get things like vignetting and, and there's a lot of potential for this to evolve and get more comfort features, when you're playing a traditional game where that developer was never building it with VR in mind, there's going to be a lot of forcible movement of the camera. I, I really strongly wouldn't recommend this to that kind of person. But then again, you can argue that even some official made VR conversions have that issue. You know, it is an issue in Resident Evil titles for PlayStation VR 2, as much as I praise Capcom for bringing those across. And as much as in most ways, those are great conversions. Capcom does an awful lot of moving the camera as if it is a traditional game, and that can make the kind of people who are going to get sick in those situations get sick. The, the last thing I just want to point out, because a lot of people in the comments are discussing the, the graphics card you need for this and, and the performance expectations, that, but again, because these games are never made for VR, because running these games 
in 3D stereo at VR resolutions and VR frame rates is so challenging that on, that in almost all titles, you're going to have to change the graphic settings to low or at least lower them from what you're usually used to. You'll want to use this with a very, very powerful PC. As Artful, just they see quite a few 4090s being sold for this. This is for the archetypal PC gamer who has a multi-thousand dollar beast of a machine and the kind of person that loves to configure Skyrim more than play Skyrim. So there's this question from Vern. What did Meta spend billions on when one guy in a crew makes UE VR free apart from time? So there are fans doing amazing things in the community for VR. There's, there's people who just love some old games and they've been putting their love into getting those games into VR in various ways. And it's been absolutely magical to see. That question, though, goes to something very interesting that I, I think about a lot. I think about what is the best VR headset or what is the best headset. And we're going to have to come back to that question a lot in the coming years. Because you could argue the MetaQuest 3 is the best headset. But when you go to the PC landscape, and you say that most of the headsets in use on PC are Quest, what are you actually saying that Meta has done there? Meta has made itself a supplier of buyers for Steam content. They've done it on the count of millions of people going to Steam to buy content to play on their VR headsets, content that they can't get any other way. And some of that content is this modded fan driven stuff and it's even baked into half-life alex right it's half-life alex was the launching pad for a whole bunch of cool things that you could do on your pc based headset in association with this core game it's hit a roadblock or something where we're, we're in our comments debating minimum specs in order to have a good experience with all that stuff the great thing about things like vignetting or reprojection is it brings all of those things down and if you build it system-wide, you might be able to get lower system values. I just wanted to add all that, that there's a lot of potential in this community to support it on hardware in a really robust way. If, if people can have a good experience in at least some of these things, that's going to sell some systems at least. I, I wanted to change subject here. Is there something you want to talk about first? Yeah, I think that's a great question as to whether this is going to sell headsets. What we've seen in the Steam hardware survey, and I'll see if I can find a, a graph here, is that there's been a general stagnation of PC VR compared to wider PC gaming. And that's arguably much more of a content problem than it is a hardware problem. As you can see in this graph here, it's pretty much stayed at 2% ever since the current methodology in early 2020, which was at the round of the release of Half-Life Alex. If this is compelling enough for enough people, if you know those shared profiles and some of the tools that are being built on top of UEVR that automate some of this for you, gets to the point where you know in a year's time this is a one-click solution for most games where you launch a game it downloads the most popular community profile that has all the settings set up for you and everything is kind of handled for you which which i expect the open source community is going to deliver within that kind of time frame will this sell headsets will this sell quest 3s will it sell big screen beyonds will it sell other pc headsets that's a really interesting question uh, Jorg Jorgensen or Jorg Jorgensen, I'm sorry if I'm mispronouncing it. Isn't millions a bit of an overstatement? 
if half the people using SteamVR are using Quest, it's not Quest. It's it's Quests plus the legacy headsets that Meta has shipped all collectively make more than 50% of the Steam survey. Right, David? Uh, yeah, that's correct. 60, that, 65%. Yeah. So it's, it's a majority of the users on Steam have used some headset over the years made by Meta. And that is what my point there is that's supplying buyers to your competing platform. And yeah, this is the closest we can get at what that actual user base is. And I'm guessing here as, as whether it's millions, it could not be. The thing that I always think about is how many Steam Deck buyers going out there and getting into Steam for the first time on Steam Deck are actually doing that, getting into this, getting into it for the first time versus people who are just logging into their Steam account that's existed for years. And, you know, how many new PC buyers do you have coming in through that direction? Yeah, that's a great point. As we always try to say about this graph, this is not an absolute number of VR users. This is how many VR users are there compared to general PC gamers. So for this to stay stagnant or even to decrease, PC VR just needs to grow at the same pace or faster than VR. Or sorry, PC gaming needs to grow faster than PC VR. So the Steam Deck is a great example of how PC gaming is obviously growing as is, you know, better gaming laptops and more and more people getting into PC gaming in countries around the world where PCs weren't traditionally used. That's a, that's a huge thing in the, but, in the developing world. People are getting into PC gaming now. Yeah, and, and Shala's comment here, who doesn't have a Steam account? They're, they're arguing that most of the Steam Deck buyers are probably existing buyers. Yes, totally granted. My, my point, I guess, in response to, like, your, your point is kind of making my point here, that uh there are so many people with steam accounts and pcs what's going to get people going and buying more content on steam more often well a handheld form factor bringing a bunch of the games over to it is going to do that the thing i see on all of these platforms is they try to figure out how do we grow the funnel at the very base of our user base and one way to do that is go into another form factor like handhelds another way would be a, a vr headset um and it was a vr headset that's what it meant for steam to get this other surface but as like david has been harping on two percent for what 10 years of effort or eight years of effort is not it, it's scary to think like what how important is it to valve to really try to make that three or four percent and all i'm all this balance is like there's still headsets being used. like this is at two percent only because Meta put it there. I think is a way to frame it. Yeah, there are probably a lot of people who are buying Quest to use them as standalone and PC who wouldn't have bought a just PC headset. And I would argue that in recent years there are probably quite a lot of of buyers who chose a Quest for PC VR because it's wireless. I think. People who got into VR before wireless was available are by definition people who are okay with the tether. And the, the, the average typical gamer does not want the tether. Uh, that is something that if you ask people as you uh, you know venture around life in the world, they will very much so tell you they do not want a tether. So yeah, this is a fascinating topic. The, the reason that this growth has been stagnated, as I argued before, is probably the lack of content more than anything on the hardware side. And so... Let's see over time. Will UEVR make this go up again? Uh, so going back to my, my best, let's move on to the next subject, but going back to my best headset question, 
if we assume Meta is the most number of headsets in use, uh, what is the next? What is the next system? What credit do we give to the most active VR headsets? What system is it? And this is where it gets dicey, right? We we would call it PC VR as a platform, maybe. Would we call it a couple of years ago? It might have been PSVR. I don't think PSVR two is going to cut it. I don't think they've made an install base to be the second run behind Quest Pico. But uh, if you take China out of it, because we don't have any idea what is going on inside China proper, is Pico going to be the second most popular platform in the world behind Meta? I don't think so. I think it's going to be PCs, and that is owned more or less by Steam. And then there's Unreal Engine now breaking open a big piece of the market. I wonder what this would do to the arcade market. If you can retrofit a couple really old UE games for next to nothing, go get the licenses from those developers who are making almost nothing on Steam. You go get a license for a couple of those games. You retrofit it for just a five-minute segment, a demo segment, and then you pay 20 bucks uh, a pop to go do that at Dave & Buster's and places like that. I'm curious if the UE VR mod changes that at all. Yeah, so it only works with Unreal Engine 4.8 and above, which is something like the past five or so years, give or take a few years. So that's not something that works for legacy games, but I do agree with you that there is this massive hole in the market that there are multiple modding teams within VR that have shown that if you take a lot of these older titles, they're perfect because they are performant enough to just run on standalone headsets. And then they even work well on PC where you have all of the kind of graphics upgrade mods that have been built up over the past decade since these games released. Xavier speaking up for the the quiet majority out there. I think that's a fair way to describe them. Saying I'm a Quest 2 PC VR user who joined in 2021 because I didn't want a tether. So that's a person chiming in, saying their part and and pointing out that like it's kind of a legacy idea to think that there aren't new people to access because this technology has gotten that much better. So I, I think we we got to open our eyes to the idea that there's a lot more people accessible and that number could shift with software getting better. Yeah, and I wonder what the rumored Quest 3 Lite might do for PC VR adoption. You know, it's going to be there with that AV1 decoding. It's going to be there with Wi-Fi 6E, presumably, and then at the right price. So it'll, it'll be interesting to see what happens there. Are we ready to talk about our next topic, those X-Real glasses? Yep, go ahead. Yeah, so this was quite a surprise. X-Real was formerly called Nreal, and you may know that they actually released the first AR glasses in 2021. The first glasses that could you could actually buy as a consumer and would actually position virtual objects in your space, on your floor or on your desk, and you walk around and they're positionally still locked there. Those glasses were quite limited though. They only worked with some specific phones and these glasses have the same issue. They are not standalone devices at all. But why this is surprising is that in the past few years, X-Rail has been focusing on its air glasses, which instead of having AR like those old light glasses are just media screens. They just, they don't have any tracking cameras, the other X-Rail glasses so far. They just have this fixed virtual screen that's, that's kind of fixed in front of your head. You plug in something like a Nintendo Switch or your phone and it projects it on as if you plugged your Switch or phone into uh, a TV. So 
this is a surprise because X-Reel is now returning to AR glasses. The problem, of course, is that these are only supported by the Samsung Galaxy S23 and Samsung Galaxy S22, and they have to be tethered to that phone. But it is still with, you know, transparent AR glasses years in advance of the major companies delivering something like this. And this has, or at least Xreal says it will have scene meshing like Quest 3 has, where it will generate a 3D mesh of your room, hand tracking, permanent spatial anchors, and arbitrary 2D image tracking. So this is a kind of taste of the kind of, for at least for indoor use cases, the kind of AR glasses that the bigger companies may release in the later half of the decade. But of course, this is not designed for outdoor use. It's not bright enough, the displays, to compete with the sun. It doesn't have any kind of like, uh, you know, outdoor visual navigation system. And for anyone who's not aware of the general state of, of transparent AR optics in general, the massive flaw here, which is the case with pretty much all transparent AR optics that we've ever seen to date, is that the field of view is very very narrow. So you can see here on this chart, the human eyes field of view, the kind of field of view you'd get from a, a Quest 3, which a lot of people consider to be quite narrow on the grand scheme of things, even though it's wider than past Quest headsets. And then you can see where these transparent AR headsets come in. The, the bulky Magic Leap 2 gets you a, a decent vertical field of view, but still quite a limited horizontal field of view. And the, the X-Real Air 2 Ultra, these glasses are right in here. So you only see virtual monitors, virtual objects in a very small kind of postage stamp size area in the middle of your view. That means that you're going to lose track of which virtual objects are in your room and where they are because you have these transparent glasses. But as you look around, you're only seeing the virtual elements within that one little postage stamp size view in front of you. I apologize to our audience and to you, David, for not being able to make it to CES. I had to cancel my trip last minute for personal reasons where I would have probably gotten to see this one Hopefully, uh, Kyle will will get a chance to go eyes in with this. The, the reason is like you bought a pair of these at some point, and my only experiences with this software are reflected here in the comments is absolutely terrible. I put earlier versions of these on for just a I don't know a few minutes, and I really didn't enjoy any time wearing these glasses. If I'm being perfectly blunt about it, and I'm curious if 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 that's different for you. Yeah, the original Unreal Light from 2021, I reviewed it. It was quite rough when it came to software. You actually used the tethered phone as a rotational laser pointer and the, the, the frame rate was very low. The refresh rate was kind of uh, low, but there was something magical there. There is something magical about seeing the real world in full quality through a transparent optic and seeing those holographic objects, you know, looking down at your floor and seeing, you know, like a Pokemon in someone's demo walking around your floor without the green and blurriness and uh, warping that you get in a pass-through headset like Quest 3. And, you know, Nreal, now Xreal, sorry, says that th this will be a higher quality experience uh, three years later, thanks to using, you know, a much more powerful device, the Galaxy S23. This has a 120 hertz refresh rate, so it should be smoother and lower latency. They're saying the tracking is dramatically better, so the object should be completely locked to the ground, just like you see in something like a Quest 3. You know, they're saying uh, that the, the brightness is 500 nits now, 
And the things like hand tracking means that interacting with this should be a lot better. But we have yet to try this. We have yet to see the software. They are really mainly pitching this for developers at the start to, to, you know, to be very clear here because this isn't going to have much AR content at launch and the SDK isn't even finalized. But you know, it is an interesting platform because if you are someone who there are a small number of people who bought the Quest 3 specifically for its mixed reality functionality, you know, for being able to have a, a virtual YouTube panel up, uh, for being able to play games that exist in their real room. And while the field of view on this is very narrow, and we said that multiple times, it, it is almost a deal breaker, probably is a deal breaker for the vast majority of people. Being able to do this on something that is, you know, what, something like 80 grams, I believe this is, compared to the Quest 3's 500 grams, and having that full clear view of your real world, this is going to appeal to some people. And you can see that this still supports those existing media viewer use cases where, you know, you can plug in your tablet or your laptop or your Nintendo Switch and see its screen projected in front of you. This could be great for something like a long flight or something like when you're traveling in a hotel room. It's so frustrating that the field of view is what it is, but that's just the seat of the technology. But, you know, at least we now exist in a world where you can, again, if you really want, buy AR glasses, even if they are very limited. <laughs> at least we exist in a world. Always a good sentence that begins that way. Um, I have been, I'm not allowed to, to, to share my thoughts. David told me not to. So let's move on to the next subject, David. <laughs> let's be very clear i'm not i'm not telling you not ian wants to talk about the uh, meta ray-ban glasses as he does every week and i've asked just for one week to please talk about literally anything else let's talk about htc's full face tracker that we uh, just came from publishing an article about this is for the vive xr elite um i it's this is what chipset is running inside of this? Let's before we begin this, remind me what is running in last year's headset. It's the original XR2 from Quest 2. This is a very strange device that kind of sits between Quest 2 and Quest Pro spec-wise. It does have color pass-through. It does have a depth projector, strangely, so it does kind of do some automatic room setup for mixed reality, but you know, again, if you're not familiar with the Vive XR Elite, the this was pitched as this mixed reality headset but the mixed reality pass-through is not depth correct i cannot use this personally for more than 30 seconds without getting a headache in in pass-through mode for vr it's it's okay i still don't understand the design decisions made here it's very thin and light but the, the strap is not very comfortable and the lenses are you know narrower field of view and not as clear as the second generation pancake lenses that you see in the likes of quest pro quest 3 and pico 4 these these are those first generation pancake lenses that people may have missed a few years ago they're kind of small and circular instead thomas van bow uh in our comments saying all oh, the look of this yeah the Gon gonzo is coming up as someone with a a very large nose i feel i feel personally offended by the designers uh of this um yeah, it looks even stranger this way <laughs> well, you know, uh, the XR2 is being the, is the problem here, and you pointing out that it was uh, straining, and we, we of course uh, Vive was announced as a partner for Qualcomm in the next gen version of the chip, the the higher, it, it, like so. This running that chip, it was interesting to me. 
Yeah, I will talk about it more at the end, but I suspect the HTC headset that uses that new chip will probably be a, a new Focus, like a Vive Focus 3. It's confusing, but HTC does sell two completely separate design standalone headsets simultaneously. You have this, the, the XR Elite, and, and to be clear here, this is it with the face tracking add-on that we're talking about today, but they also still sell the Focus 3, and they're both using the same original XR2 chip. The difference is that this is designed to be uh, slimmer and lighter and have color pass-through, while the Focus 3 has wider field of view and higher resolution and swappable battery, but it's uh, more bulky. It really seems like HTC probably could have just gone for a unified design and try to get the best of both. But yeah, this is, I was very it disappointed does, by this headset. Someone here in our comments said, uh, what is it, Condor Man? I've never heard of that, but uh, Vive should hit the comedy circuit. I like this image. It does look like you should be like pulling it down like a mustache or something uh, after you do a really bad dad joke. I, I, uh, it's, we had this moment leading into CES where we wondered if uh, Valve was going to do a big reveal. And that was like it, it hit it got to the nostalgia in me, the bittersweet uh, part of me that remembers coming to CES in 2016 and seeing uh, both. But basically the announcement of the Rift pricing and I think as well as getting my first proper demo provided by Vive and HTC personally of all an assortment of all the content coming out and i want to i like i hate describing it this year but eats this way but each subsequent year going to ces has felt like a lesser version of htc like the vision that they had that first time at ces has just become muddled and watered down and i i don't know like this doesn't look like something um a lot of people are going to use yeah, so this isn't a great headset in the first place, and it's priced at like something like eleven hundred dollars plus this add-on is two hundred, so that gets you to, you know, up to thirteen hundred dollars. But the Quest Pro already has face and eye tracking built in, so this was announced by HTC back a year ago when when it launched as the Quest Pro competitor. But it's only now a year later, by the time that its processor is outdated, just like Quest Pros is is arguably outdated. It actually has the full functionality. Had this launched with all of this built in, you know, you could argue that it's every way as valid as Quest Pro, at least for the specific use cases people want to use this for. But at this point, it, you know, it is bizarre to see, as you say, HTC being announced as using that new chip. So we're all sitting there going, when is this HTC headset going to be announced? And instead they have this thing for their outdated, overpriced arguably failure of a headset, at least in the consumer market. I was I always like to point out for balance here, as much as we're, um, uh, you know, insulting HTC's delivery here, <laughs> they still remain rather successful in the enterprise market. There are companies, there are plenty of companies, enterprises and, and businesses of all sizes that use HTC's headsets for training, for visualization, for collaboration, and, and they still remain strong there. But this was their kind of last attempt i suspect mm. to try and re-enter the consumer market and you know they do have games on this they just got vr chat on it they they have things like green hell they try to have you know if i had to guess maybe 15 or 20 percent of the quest store it was too high and it doesn't have any real compelling reason for most people to want to buy it uh, you said they're doing fine in business and i think that's the like i've i've wondered 
how long they can protect that business for years. And so they've done a good job of protecting that business. They've, they've built products for the enterprise business that they serve. They've built successive generations. But that, to David's point and what I'm trying to get at, that consumer vision has just evaporated in any consumer promise. And I just, I have to question whether they can hold out their business uh, section for long. Like the the thing that I'm trying to say about CES is like going to the CES press conference has become a smaller affair each year. You could see it literally in the presentation of the the whole event. It's just they had to scale back year after year after year what they were doing. And even the devices that they were like announcing weren't ready by CES. They would they eventually had what Cosmos was it, I remember, was shown in a display case at CES and wasn't actually available. So they like announced one headset and had another one shown on the display board and an unfunctional like non-functional, unfunctional. That's a good that's a good way to describe it, I suppose. Um, but like that's that's been the story of, of HEC for the last couple of years. Yeah, I think we'll finish unless you have anything else to say on this. But I do want to say one good thing about this. Firstly, we'll start two good things kind of about this. Firstly, it's a very clever design in how it is an add-on. There is a there is a USB-C port on the right side of the right lens of the XR Elite that this just slots into, and then it magnetically attaches under the facial interface. And this happens just a few months after Meta's CTO, Andrew Bosworth, came out and kind of confidently declared that the idea of a Quest 3 getting an eye tracking add-on, even just eye tracking, was absurd. You know, this just, this can't happen. It's just, there's no, there's no practical way to do this. And HTC just comes along and does it. You know, this is in one product, not only a, a face tracker, but an eye tracker to be crystal clear here, if anyone has missed this, this is eye tracking. And this is face tracking. This is three cameras in total here. These are 120 hertz eye tracking cameras and a 60 hertz face tracking camera. The other really cool thing about this, and I, I need to follow up with HCC to get full details on this because we just published this before this show, but they're claiming this enables automatic IPD adjustment. Now, their language makes it sound like this this accessory has some sort of mechanical ability to physically move the lenses for you. Again, we need to check with HTC Didn't the headset, that's the case. Did this headset launch with that? I thought this was the one headset that launched with that. No, this doesn't This doesn't have... It has a little slider. The, I think you're thinking of um, the Pico 4 Enterprise. It's the one that has automatic <laughs> IPD adjustment. Okay. But yeah, right. th- that this yeah. is... I mean, this is cool. You, you, you get an accessory that Meta doesn't believe is even possible. The design of this is cool. It's To do it for $200 is actually very reasonable compared to what you've seen in, in past prices. To put eye tracking and face tracking in a headset for $200, that's cool. We're not... This accessory isn't the problem. The headset it's for is the problem. The fact that VR chat is on, what is it, Pico now and on HCC is kind of like a big deal to show their support. But there was a comment up here suggesting that Apple Vision Pro might kill HTC. I think that comment is maybe right, that there there may be validity to that idea, even if we recognize that this is like a still, yes, a completely different class of product. And I'm not going to make the credit due like to just Apple. It may not be just Apple that does it. There's a lot of other things coming to compete with the market that this the previous devices had. Yeah, and stick around until the end of the show and when we talk about what some of those headsets might be. So are we ready to talk about Apple Vision Pro and those four articles we have on it this week? (laughs) 
Yeah. Is everyone ready for Apple Vision Pro? Go the, go share the link out to your friends. Get them in here because this is the section of the show where we talk about the ad that they might have actually seen. We talk about the uh, the actual demos they might go and make appointments to go see and the thing that they're going to be talking about on the morning shows that everyone is going to be watching. So what what is going on here? Uh, thank you all for tuning in with us on this journey so far. We're not going to do let's 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 leave the words debate like where is it in your lineup here? Uh, it's yeah, it's the last one. Yeah. All right. Well, we're, we're hold your if you have thoughts about the language of spatial computing and VR, AR, XR or MR, uh, leave it in the comments. We'll look at it. Keep it in mind. And we'll get to that as the last uh, story in this section with Vision Pro. So, David, why don't you run through it? Yeah, so if you've been living under a virtual rock or a spatial rock, uh, you will not know that Apple Vision Pro is launching in the U.S. on February 2nd, and pre-orders are opening next Friday. Now, that's remarkably close. For, for so long, Vision Pro has been this thing that's you know so far off. It's before the new year. It was, oh, it's something happening next year, and now it's something happening in a matter of weeks. This is you know a crazy moment for the XR industry, or as we'll talk about soon, the, the spatial industry. Um, this is going to be a watershed moment. If you don't appreciate how big this is going to be, uh, you're going to be proven wrong because this is going to be big. This is going to be arguably the, the single biggest launch in, in the history of the industry. Uh, additionally, in addition to revealing the launch date, Apple revealed that the base model will only have 256 gigabytes of storage for $3,500, which is classic Apple, of course. If you look at their pricing for MacBooks, that's not unexpected. They also revealed that an alternative head strap will be there in the box to address issues around comfort. So if you've been following Vision Pro since the announcement, you'll know about this strap, which is the solo knit strap, as Apple describes it, uh, the, the solo knit band as Apple describes it. And this is 3D knitted to create a unique rib structure that provides cushioning, breathability, and stretch. But you'll notice that it only has this back strap. So there have been reports from Bloomberg's Mark Gurman, who accurately reported a lot of the details about this headset before it was even revealed, announced, or acknowledged, that early testers of the Vision Pro have been reporting issues with comfort and it being feeling front heavy. And that's not unique to Vision Pro, as we all know, probably the vast majority of people watching this show know, pretty much all current standalone VR headsets have this front heaviness problem. But in a sort of surprise last minute announcement, Apple have revealed that there is going to be a second strap in the box called the dual loop band. And this has a, a much more basic back strap that sits lower on your head, but also importantly, it has a top strap, not a front to back top strap like most of us are used to, but a side to side top strap. And this, it can be seen in this image too. Now, in a recent patent, you could actually see a hybrid of these two options where the solo knit band is combined with this top strap. And to me, that seems intuitively like the best option, though obviously I haven't worn this and I don't know. And to be clear, we don't know if that's something that the final product will support. It looks like it will. And this is what that would look like based on that patent filing, that the solo knit band with the dual loop on top. But we don't know. All we know for now is that 
those two options are what Apple is saying supported, and they have clearly they're clearly hoping that at least one of these options is going to be comfortable for you. And I suspect that there has been somewhat of a panic at Apple in recent months as they realize that this is being marketed, this product, mostly for use cases that involve sitting down for a long period of time. But it's a front-heavy device with quite a weak strap compared to some of the more uh, the current headsets with the likes of, you know, Elite straps and and things like the Pico 4 strap and the Valve Index strap. It's very rigid and provides that balance. And they have obviously decided that, you know, everyone's head shape is different. And so everyone is going to have a, a type of strap that works best for them compared to other people. And Apple is kind of just gambling. Let's just give them a bunch of different straps in the box and, and hopefully they can figure out something that's comfortable for them. So uh, I can't. I, I lost track of how many of our subjects you got through there. It looks like you got through at least two of them. Uh, the big one I want to point out is February 2nd. I got a, there's a, radio news reporter that sometimes calls me when there's VR news and uh, invites me to come on and talk about talk on the radio. I never actually hear this because I don't listen to the radio. So if someone is out there uh, listening to ABC radio, please let me know what I sound like. Uh, but he calls me from time to time. He called me this morning. We talked about uh, Apple Vision Pro and the Sony news that we've got coming up here. And my advice on the radio to this uh, reporter is the same as I'm going to give to our audience. February 2nd, at the moment that they make it available for you to do it, you go and try to get an appointment to go see this headset for yourself at your local Apple store, wherever they, they'll allow it. Just that's If you don't have the $3,500, and it's not even a question for you, you still should go and try to see this for yourself. Uh, I was... There was a question up here from Daniel Leeper that uh, asked, uh, big in what sense? He was questioning your initial framing, and I appreciated David's framing. He worked really hard to point out that this is a watershed moment no matter which way you cut it. Um, but big for who is because it is priced as it is. And um, Tesla debuted at that, and you could go down to a Tesla store, and you could make an appointment to drive a Tesla around the uh, mall and you could experience for yourself what acceleration feels like with a fully electric drivetrain getting you up to 60 miles an hour in just a few blocks. Um, that's what this is going to be like to go and experience this. So February 2nd, as soon as it's available, go all of our readers, all of our viewers out there, all of our listeners out there, Go to your Apple store and go and see this for yourself. So I'm just going to begin there. Yeah, not big in sales. We, we've talked before on this show about the reliable reports that indicate that Apple can probably only manufacture less than half a million of these for the first year because this uses near 4K OLED micro displays. And we've talked many times in the show about how the OLED micro supply, micro display supply chain is just building up. But big in the cultural impact it has, big in how it makes regular people who aren't uh, necessarily tech enthusiasts think about headsets, even though, as we'll talk about in a bit, Apple doesn't want you to refer to it generically as a headset. And, you know, as we're talking about this, I'll, I'll, we'll talk about that third thing that we're 
the third article we were referring to here, which is the first ad for this that Apple ran. And I really recommend you go on to uploadvr.com and uh, watch this ad because it's really simple. It's There's nothing special about it, but it shows you how Apple is approaching this. Uh, Palmer Lucky had a great quote uh, a few months ago where he said that Apple is going to try and make VR something that everybody wants before something that everybody can afford. Vision Pro is the start of that journey. We're not delusional. We do not think that a $3,500 product is going to start flying off the shelves and change the world. But the experience that it delivers is going to, from what we've seen so far, from Ian's hands-on impressions, from all of the other hands-on impressions we've read, and from what we know about the operating system based on using the Vision OS simulator, a dramatically better, richer experience than what Meta has been delivering so far on Quest. And the kind of interest that that's going to drum up is what we expect to start to change this industry. And so this ad is barely even talks about the product. In fact, it's not about the product. It's about normalizing the idea of wearing a headset. Most people still have not worn a real headset. They might have tried something like a Google Cardboard or Gear VR many years ago, but many people, even tech enthusiasts, are skeptical not about the use cases of XR slash spatial computing slash whatever you want to call it, not about the what they can do with it or the apps or the experiences or the graphics. They're skeptical about the idea of even wearing a headset. So what you can see from Apple's marketing here, Apple's world-class marketing, is that that's their first goal. They're normalizing the idea. And this ad is really simple. It's just a series of clips of movies and cartoons where the characters are putting on goggles or a mask or a headset or a visor of some sort, all spliced together, followed by just the words, get ready, and a model putting on the Apple Vision Pro. And it echoes one of the original iPhone ads that was shown at the 2007 Oscars, where they played every clip from a major movie where a character picked up a telephone and said hello. And right after it, it was just a picture of the iPhone's incoming call screen followed by coming soon. So this is that same kind of marketing over again. So am I imagining, am I imagining this uh, point in history or did Steve, so so comment on if this is a made up memory or did Steve Jobs show the opening scene of up during one of his keynotes? Did he make the entire audience weep watching the opening segment uh, of, of up during one of his keynotes? I think he did. And I think it was one of the most awful things and brilliant things I've ever seen a, an executive do to a room full of people to introduce a product. Um, and I, I, I saw that when this was, I saw this little clip, uh, referencing, I believe, that movie and uh, during that part of the movie that's so heartbreaking. Um, it's Apple has a long history of marketing computers from 1984 and the Super Bowl up until the 2000s and uh, converting it and going from iPods into phones. It's There's a story of personal computing there that that is continuous from a single company with a lot of different people trying to hone a vision. And I saw this comment. uh, They don't think necessarily the whole company is behind it. And I want to call out the comments I've heard from uh, the CEO of Tilt 5. She, Jerry Ellsworth, has made a couple of comments. I heard her say, uh, referring to some of the negative sentiment around Apple, you tend to hear about Apple from the employees who got sick of Apple and left. 
you don't hear about Apple necessarily from the employees who are sticking around and actually building these products. And you got to, so, so there's that uh, element to some of the narrative that you might have heard about Apple canceling products. Uh, I was talking to my kid about this uh, coming soon. And um, one of the things I had to point out to him, uh, it was actually, we were actually discussing this, what is the greatest headset question? Because what I think, what people don't realize is how many headsets Apple said no to before saying yes to this one. Before someone at Apple, probably Tim Cook himself, said, okay, ship it. We heard about countless efforts over the years to ship something in AR and VR from Apple. And they said, no, 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 no. Why do you think they said yes to this one? Why do you think they gave demos, as we understand it in the reporting, to hundreds of executives, probably the same demo I got, testing whether this is actually the thing that they want it to be? And now those demos are available for you to schedule in early February. Yeah, I think Apple likely considers Vision Pro, the specs, the software, the experience to be the minimum bar for what they want to put their name on when it comes to a headset. And right now, that minimum bar costs $3,500 to deliver with a profit, but it won't forever. And as I, as I pointed out multiple times on this show in the past, we sh- you should anyone who's skeptical of the price should notice this Pro marker here. That strongly, strongly suggests that Apple will at some point release a a non-pro vision headset that delivers a experience that is either at the current present day vision pro level or above for for a much lower price. And we've heard from supply chain analysts and, and reporters like Bloomberg's Mark Gurman that that's exactly what Apple is working on. And I see a comment from Jack B here saying that the first Mac cost $2,500 in 1984 and no one ever felt like they got ripped. They bragged and schools bought them. Put that into an inflation calculator. In modern money, that's something like north well, of $10,000. What was the number? Okay, so dig back in your your mental archives, David Heaney. What was the number in that one report, that one article that suggested uh, how many Magic Leap twos or was it Magic Leap ones were sold uh, in the first six months? Oh, I, I think it was somewhere on the order of sixty thousand. But please don't quote me on that. That's just uh, oh, could be a false memory. It's somewhere on in that scale. It, oh, six thousand. It might have been six thousand. Yeah, six thousand yeah. is the number I'm remembering. And he remember he he added them an, an extra zero in in politeness to magically. But I want to say that we saw some report. Uh, Roni Abowitz, if this if you somehow get a hold of this clip, please come into my DMs and correct me with how many magically ones and twos you sold lifetime. But I'm seeing these comments about how many are they going to sell of these headsets, and like it's so silly to think. You can view it one of two ways. Oh, they didn't sell very many or they've been sold out for two years, right? Like both of those things could be true. It just, it's how you want to portray it. I mean, I obviously can't bet on this for obvious reasons, but if, if I were to bet on this, I would strongly, strongly bet that they are going to sell every single unit they produce. 
as we've been saying, this is going to be a supply-limited product, not a demand-limited product. To deliver that minimum viable experience requires these near 4K OLED micro displays, and they are just not something that could be mass-produced. We talked in a previous episode of this show about how there was a supply chain analysis estimate that the micro displays in Vision Pro cost Apple $700, as in $350 each. That on a component cost is more than even the entire product price of something like a Quest 3. It just shows you how difficult the components are in this headset to to deliver. And that's something Apple's going to be working on in the coming years. They're going to drive that price down and they're going to get the headset to be lighter. We've heard from multiple sources now that their top priority for the next model, beyond anything else, beyond specs and speeds and feeds, is to make the thing lighter. Specs and Feeds and feeds. Wow. That was uh, a Steve Jobs quote, I believe. Speeds and feeds. <laughs> what a nice cut. Uh, the thing I wanted to add to that was where is the comment here? The sunk cost theory. Um, I I hate business. I hate business. I don't I don't want to know how business works because uh, it just it's boring. Uh, yet I I think I the way business works. The way Apple, it would make sense for Apple to do this is they have to go and line up partners, not just for this device, but for generations two and three and four and five. They have to go make partnerships with companies who are going to supply them those things for the future. And they have to go and make business agreements that I have never seen. I never want, like, I I do want to read it because of pure curiosity. I want to read the business agreements that Apple had to go and make to get their suppliers. But I hate that I want to read them because it's going to be boring as hell and it doesn't matter ultimately to the audience out there whether this is a good experience. But those agreements are fundamental to the idea that Apple ever gets to go and do an Apple Vision Pro 2, an Apple Vision Pro 3, an Apple Vision that is affordable and you might actually want to go buy or it's in your price range. All of those things will happen because this device is a sunk cost towards building the next few things. Yeah, it's been reported from uh, certain outlets and supply chain analysts that Apple is desperately trying to find other OLED micro display suppliers. This headset is reportedly using ones from Sony, but Apple is apparently talking to BOE in China, talking to LG and Samsung in South Korea, and I would imagine they're talking to every company that can potentially produce OLED micro displays to try and get that into the supply chain. When it comes to these premium headsets that deliver this kind of experience, we'll talk more about some of the future ones at the in our next segment about the the Qualcomm Snapdragon XR2 Plus Gen 2. Uh, this is a race for OLED micro displays. OLED micro displays are the gold that makes these headsets work really well. And every company from, from Meta to Samsung Electronics to Sony, et cetera, et cetera, they are all trying right now to figure out how do we get as many OLED micro displays in our hands as possible in the coming years. Yeah, let me let me defend myself against Blair and also apologize for drop jumping off topic yeah i jump off topic all the time but the blair comment on business the thing i hate about business the reason i hate it so much is business ethics class in college uh business ethics is ultimately the thing you hear when people talk about it is is it legal uh every business everywhere every ethical decision they ever make 
boils down to, is it legal for me to make money this way? And that's the limits of business ethics, uh, as I understand them. And that's what I hate about business. There's no thought to the uh, ethics or the effects. Uh, it's just a question of, will it make money? Which is usually a good indicator of whether people like something. But there's also effects that come with it. So that was my defense there of why I hate business and why I still do want to know what the business agreements are here. Because uh, those business agreements outline uh, lots of things like... Uh, how they monitor the working conditions of the people who are actually assembling these devices. We're a couple of years away from finding out how they actually put these devices together. And Apple has had incredible amounts of criticism for how they put together their iPhones over the years. That's all relevant to the discussion of how these devices get made and how they affect our lives. And uh, yeah, I won't apologize for that. You want to talk about the next subject? Yeah, I think the last thing I'll say on that is just that we've seen reports from, I think it was the information, uh, the information, yes, a news outlet that, that we love and you should definitely subscribe to if you like in-depth tech news, saying that this is the most complex product Apple has ever made and one of the most complex uh, tech products in history. And it's apparently so intricate and difficult to assemble that the uh, factory assembling it was struggling to find people who have small enough hands to actually assemble it. So that's uh, remarkable. We haven't heard that about any tech product to date. If you if you look and, what is here with this kind of curved 3D glass and uh, custom aluminium alloy design with all of this technology jammed into the slimmest visor possible. Uh, yeah, this is this is going to be something that we haven't seen any other company yet of this much technology into this kind of frame. But yeah, let's if if you don't have anything else to say, let's talk about the. Uh, that controversy with what Apple is telling developers. Yeah, I think I explained myself well, and Blair, I appreciate you uh, keeping on me. Yeah, I do want to know. Um, this screenshot, uh, David, why don't you describe the screenshot for us, for our uh, audio listeners? Okay, so the, the the image we used here for this article is of two people sitting at a desk with a computer in front of them and a Vision Pro below. And uh, it kind of looks like the person... Uh, behind the foreground is is telling the other person what to do. And the reason that's funny is that the news we're talking about here is that Apple has told developers that they cannot describe their Vision Pro apps as VR, AR, MR, or XR. They are not allowed to use those terms in their App Store description. They're not even allowed to, according to these uh, rules that we've seen on Apple's website, describe them as this in external marketing that is related to their Vision Pro app that's on the App Store, they must instead use the term spatial, not VR, not XR, not MR, not AR, spatial computing. And in you know, in some ways, this is, a, as I see in the comments from Ariane Kunder, just a matter of semantics. In other ways, it's Apple really trying to tell developers what this platform is, what this technology is, trying to cement the terms on their terms, uh, no pun intended, and throw away everything that has happened in this industry so far. And I imagine a lot of developers are not going to take this well. This is you know, a very specific restriction for certain apps that have branded their entire identity around some of these acronyms. And it comes as the rest of the industry doesn't seem to be agreeing. You know, we have, uh, as we'll talk about soon, Qualcomm's chips for all of the other headsets are called the Snapdragon XR series. The open standard that developers use 
to build uh, the the ops for every other headset, but Vision Pro is called Open XR. This is you know the, the standard for the web that that brings in uh, VR and AR content to the web, and that Safari is actually supporting in its experimental build right now is called Web XR. But Apple is saying no, it's spatial computing. It's computing you do in space. Yeah, I mean, I, I get spatial awareness. I saw someone point out the 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 awareness of that term being pretty broad. Uh, I remember when Meta, then Facebook, announced, was it the Insight tracking system for the, the Quest system? So this was the inside-out tracking system immediately rebranded overnight as the Insight tracking system. And that was the best kind of Meta could do or Facebook could do at the time with with branding itself, uh, branding a new technology around uh, a name. Apple is bringing out the big guns here by tossing out all existing terms uh, out the door. I like you going and saying spatial chat could be a big app. Um, I noticed Figman, uh, spatial, spatial Figman. Uh, that would be Figman XR. He's, he's over there uh, very concerned. The thing we don't know here, and I noticed you put this qualifier out there on our, our Twitter feed as well as on our article. We should make sure to send an email to Apple just to clarify here. Uh, how strictly are they going to enforce the the naming here, the the language here? Are they going to reject apps that have this language in their name? That seems a little far-fetched, but we also suspect, I also think it's a very high likelihood that there are going to be games that are going to rename themselves for the Apple Vision Pro, either because Apple told them to or because Apple told them it was a good idea. Yeah, that, that is an important caveat here. They don't explicitly say whether this applies to app titles. So you have people in our comments speculating, you know, does VR chat need to rename to spatial chat? If super hot VR was to come to Vision Pro, would it have to be called super hot spatial? We don't know these questions yet. One thing that might hint at an answer is that one of the games that Apple lists as coming to Vision Pro, one of the spatial games, i.e. AR slash VR games, is Super Fruit Ninja. And we don't know anything about that game, but we do know that there is Fruit Ninja VR and Fruit Ninja VR 2 on existing VR platforms. And it seems highly likely that that game is at least somewhat based on these. So was that submitted to Apple as Fruit Ninja VR and did it change to Super Fruit Ninja? That could hint at how restrictive Apple will be here. But again, we don't know. What is clear, though, is that when it comes to the marketing, when it comes to the app description, you will not call this <laughs> VR, XR, MR if you want to be on Apple's platform. I'm sorry. I just did. Is this is it is what I just did? Apple's version of Beat Saber right out of the gate. It's just going to be karate chopping. It's going to be karate chopping fruit. That's Beat Saber. Potentially, on yeah. Right. Just you saw it here like first, this, you know. <laughs> You saw it here first on our show. Oh, man. Uh, and I, yeah, Spatial, or uh, Super Hot being the other one. That was the one we were discussing. And Super Hot is this tricky version where they have a completely different flat screen version of the game. Works very differently and at different levels and stuff from the game that you play in VR. And that one is Super Hot. Then there's Super Hot VR. And how, like, do they go Super Hot Spatial? Is that what they're forced to do? So we're being joking here on whether they're actually going to force it. I don't think they would. They can really force titles to rename them. I think they'll probably be accepting of games that like have an existing uh, presence 
and title that just that's their name. But uh, it's I think there's smaller titles that might feel the pressure. And I think that's that's where we're going to let us know if you hear that. Yeah. And the wider concern here is what is this going to do for the industry? Are we going to see other companies uh, join Apple in this? Is Are the terms mixed reality, augmented reality, virtual reality, uh, are they going to go away? To, because to be clear, Apple, just to be very crystal clear, Apple is not just referring to the acronyms as in VR. They are referring to even saying virtual reality or augmented reality or mixed reality. They have to be referred to as spatial apps within spatial computing. It's very possible that Apple's influence over the world and effect in technology means that one by one, companies are going to slowly start adopting this. You will see companies go that used to call things XR, call them spatial. I see the headset historian in our comments. Uh, I, I really like your content as a random side note, uh, but they're jokingly saying, are we going to change to upload spatial, you know, upload VR? Well, will Apple say, I don't know if I want upload VR reviewing our spatial computer. Why would upload VR have anything to do with our completely unrelated to VR, not VR at all, spatial computer? Uh, upload spatial, on the other hand, oh, <laughs> they did. take a Vision Pro. They did. They did invite me. They did invite me to the headquarters. I did praise the headset and my demo with it, calling the great, the best headset demo I ever had. And David, I mean, you you were there with me. You stood with me at the Meta Quest booth as we tried the Quest 3 for the first time. You went and tried the Quest Pro parallel to me at like some event, didn't you, um, in, in London. So we both had these first time like very similar demos. Here's the company in a controlled scenario handing you a headset to try. And I, I feel so sorry for you that you've ever experienced a demo that's any other way other than the demo that Apple gave me, right? Like it is the way every VR demo should be given going forward. They, they just ensure that it was a good experience and that's experience I expect people to have when they go into stores and like, I don't know. It's funny. I, there's so many stories like I, we really should, we've talked about it. We're going to, we're going to need to send an email to Apple asking some of these hardcore questions because Think about how many first-time demos you've given over the years, David, and how embarrassed you felt almost every time by something going wrong. I, I mean, I try to do demos in a controlled way to, to stop things <laughs> like that. I think I'm pretty good at demoing spatial slash XR over the years. I've gotten pretty good okay. at it, but I, I understand what you're saying. It's a very difficult thing to do. Some of those meta demos have been incredibly amateurish with some serious problems. You know, they uh, hire these contractors that they train for a few hours and then, you know, no offense to those contractors, they're, they're working with the technology they've probably never used before. You know, we've both heard from meta demoers things like, oh, I haven't actually tried the headset yet. And in comparison, the, you know, from everything I've heard from you and from everyone else who was there at Apple headquarters, that Vision Pro demo was sublime in its polish and in how it showed off the product. Well, it's no what I what I wanted to get you to, and and you're defending yourself on your on your demo giving skills. So I I appreciate the sensitivity there to your uh to your VR ness. Your your VR card will be taken away if you don't give good demos. So I appreciate that. But what I want to how often do you give demos where the person comes out and says I'm going to go buy one, or they seriously like the jokes in the community on Twitter yesterday were. Am I going to fly to New York just to pick up a headset? Um, and I was joking on Twitter that there's probably people fighting in discords and Slack groups over who is going to 
flip the bill for $3,500 for the team? And what is the plan for everyone to come together and try it out? Like, these are all questions that are reasonable to ask at any VR company right now. Who's going to get the headset? Who's paying for it? How many are we getting? How are we going to test it and develop our product for it? They're all wondering the same things. And, uh, like, that's a magical moment in the history of computing. Like, I, it reminds me of the launch of the iPhone uh, a year later. Everyone will have to remember before they had apps. And everyone's excited for a launch day selection of apps to hit the store. Um, that's a big deal. It's a, it's a big moment. And all I want to say is, like, David, it's, it's not... This is Meta is going to learn how to do it right in many ways based on Apple's playbook here. Uh, they Meta had an, a Meta store. We've seen a couple of retail experiences them test out at like the Connect uh, events, but that's not the same experience. This is sorry, I lost my train of thought here, and I want to go back to it. How many times have you sold a headset with one of your demos? More than ten. More than ten. How many times do you think that's going to be the experience? Like if people go into a store and do a demo, are they going to come away in enough numbers to sell out? Number one. And are people going to start having those discussions with themselves and their families? Hey, we can put this on the credit card. I think even without a demo, this is going to sell out, to be clear. But I think what's really going to happen is that people are going to try this. And like that Palmer Lucky quote I brought up earlier, where Apple will make something, Apple will make this something that people want before they can afford. What they will say is, well, that was incredible. I can't afford this. But if they ever come out with one that's, you know, depending on their budget, $1,500 or $1,000 or $1,200, I'm going to jump in and then one day, whether it be three years from now or five years from now, Apple will come out with a headset at that price. And because of this demo in the Apple store, they will hit buy and they will get one. That is exactly what the Tesla stores were about in the early days, that we were doing exactly that. The original Tesla Roadster and even its follow-ups were way, way too expensive. But you could come in and see what the future held and five years from now go and buy into that ecosystem. That is what this is going to provide. And I what's crazy to me is just how 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 big a moment this is for everyone involved right there everyone was watching the keynote and i you know have you ever attended an, an a phone launch event have you ever gone to like a midnight phone launch no i haven't so that's a that's that's an iPhone owner only experience is to go line up at the Apple store and and get your iPhone. I can't imagine being that excited about a smartphone person. Each <laughs> to their own. Well, <laughs> I know. So it's it is it's a thing. There's people that have been excited. People selling their spots in line in order to get the headsets or in order to to make money off of just line standing. Um, I want to move on towards the end of this section because we're going to come back to Apple Vision Pro soon. And I love people joking in our comments about spatial. But uh, yeah, what do you got? What do you want to get into there, David? Yeah, there's just two last things I want to point out before we move on off the Apple topic. Firstly, is a comment from James O'Loughlin, who rightly points out that Apple did not invent the term spatial computing. It has actually been a term for decades. 
And very notably, it was what was used by Magic Leap. We, you know, Magic Leap much uh, mocked sometimes on this show and sometimes appreciated for the things that they got uh, a long time before anyone else. When Magic Leap kind of started to fall apart from their consumer offering and many of their employees splintered off and, and some were laid off and some left, many of them went to Apple and many of them went to Meta. And within Meta, you, you already had, before Vision Pro was even announced, some of those staffers I, I saw on, on social media talk about spatial computing from their Magic Leap days. And you see people, obviously, from Apple bringing that term into. So just want to be clear, Apple did not invent either the concept of spatial computing nor the term, but it's the term that they've chosen and they're going to try and push through the industry. The other thing I want to say is, just to be clear, uh, of what Apple actually does call VR. You know, Vision Pro does support what we would all call VR, but Apple just calls it fully immersive. They don't consider these distinct content types. They consider them a spectrum within spatial computing from an experience that we call AR or MR, where you're in your real room and you just see some digital objects there, to what we call VR and Apple calls fully immersive, where you have, you know, you're entirely encapsulated with a virtual environment. And one of the design elements of this headset is that digital crown dial on the side where in supported experiences you actually can continuously toggle between full immersion and and full pass through where you know halfway through you have the, the entire front 180 degrees of you covered by a virtual environment and the sides and behind you are still your real room so i think that will probably become a lot more apparent as mixed rally headsets start to proliferate and people who currently are only using VR only content start to see th there is a very blurry line between VR and mixed reality where some people who own a Quest 3 and have used some of the mixed reality apps should already be starting to see this. When you have three quarters of your room virtual and one quarter real, you know, where are you along that line? Is, is that VR? Is that mixed reality when there's only a couple of real elements in the room? Or, or what happens when there's only a couple of virtual? I think the one thing that this spatial computing term does that is positive is make that clear that this is not a thing of distinct content types. This is a spectrum. And within the same app, within the same session, you could go all the way from one to the other and, and bounce the bite between. Yeah, it's uh what is the the meme of the the two guys uh doing the handshake uh flat gaming has a chance of combining here to to make flat computing the term for traditional computers. If if we're really going to call this spatial computing isn't flat computing the opposite and and what we call every type of media that existed prior to this and that's I'm seeing people talk about meta and everything meta has done for the word metaverse over the last three or four years, trying to popularize it, make it a thing. Uh, Apple is very much doing the mean girls thing here saying spatial computing is the uh, actual word. And all of our watchers, longtime viewers are very concerned for us having upload VR in the name. Uh, we're in discussion about it internally. Like I don't, I still, I noticed that meta in the, uh, system settings of Quest now calls it immersive space, right? And what is what would be the alternative? It's a good question. What is the the opposite of immersive? We said that fully immersive is the the VR term, but what do you call it when you're on the other side of the spectrum? It's a good question. So, but what I mean, like, uh, like if I if I pull up my menu here I right now, it possible. says in the menu system, right? What is the yeah, other option? Uh, I believe it's just pass through. Pass-through. So pass-through would be what? 
what do they call? Yeah, I don't, I don't even know the Apple term for it. They're just calling it spatial and it's fairly immersive or maybe it's pass through. I don't know. Um, the developers that has done to the word metaverse is more like it. Sorry. To, to, to be clear, and to developers, Apple is using the term pass through. Uh, it's quite surprising to me, but they are actually using, you know, I saw in their submission guidelines, they're talking about if you're building like a, an app that takes place in the user space, take a picture with pass through, but it might just be a term they use for developers. All of this will obviously become clear in the coming weeks as Vision Pro pre-orders go up and then it launches and gets into people's hands. And the last thing I think I want to say about Vision Pro is I have never wanted to live in America more than right now. <laughs> this is US only. I'm sure that there are a lot of people in the comments who uh, might want to get something like this. But, uh, you know, we talk about Vision Pro launches on February 2nd, only in America, nowhere else. Yeah, James saying spatial computing has published academic literature for decades. There's actual thought into the conceptual model. I appreciate that. And it does a really good job of describing what's happening and provides a foundational base for discussing spatial computing for uh, AR as well. Um, it also does a good, like if you need to specify that you're talking about spatial computing and the risks of it, rather than the risks of traditional computing or flat computing, it's also a useful moniker to say like all like, spatial computing outdoors versus spatial computing indoors is actually a really descriptive way of of parsing apart the problem of like what amounts of rights do people have to record everything they see everywhere they go uh and and how that gets sorted out as as things surface in court um i uh I want to talk about the, okay, I don't know, like we're waiting for an email from Apple. We're going to, we're, we're waiting to see if we're going to be on the list of reviewers. And David and I are uh, in heavy, heavy discussion about how we would get his eyes in front of the headset. Most likely if they uh, send us an email, they'd invite me to do it, but he's the right person to analyze the headset. So we're, we're going to have to get into that with Apple and also, we need to unfold some of these things that they've announced at the technical level. I really want to understand uh, things. There's, there's. Apple is promoting that the the only information it receives of, from the eye tracking sensor inside the the headset is the moment you actually pinch. So it only actually sees what you pinch on is what Apple says about how that system works. The right? Apps. The, the developers receive that in, uh, yes, the developers do not get raw access to eye tracking and, and data. And in the shared space where most AR apps exist, they don't get raw access to hand tracking either. The developers just get where did you pinch? They get exactly. So you with Apple Vision Pro, you control it by looking with your eyes and then pinching to, to click. The, the app, the developer just sees where did you look and click? They don't get ambient information about the eyes which yeah that's something we'll have to break down another time and possibly in an article the the apple's very different approach to privacy with this headset fascinating so it's it's fascinating subjects fascinating work that we want to get into with apple parallel to understanding whether the hardware actually delivers on the promises uh and david like the skepticism out of david that the, the funny thing to me is like i know I know he's going to be blown away by it. I know he has to see it. He has to see it as soon as possible. And uh, it's a U.S. only product. So we're going to have to get into that with Apple. 
yeah, we don't know the details about how this is going to work, what kind of requirements Apple is going to put on review units. We don't know any of that yet. But obviously, you know, I'll just say to be crystal clear, if there is any way that I am allowed to and able to get my hands on this head, that I will, of course, as James O'Loughlin is suggesting in the comments, be flying over to New York. I will hop on a plane at any time, anywhere to get to see this thing. This is, as we keep saying, going to be looked back on in decades uh, as the moment for this the, the story is very clear the story of getting david heaney's eyes into the vision pro will be a story on our website and i like delicious's comment here is surfacing the the antonym of immersive i i like it i i it's so weird i like it it's very yeah that's very interesting and ryan b is asking a question we asked earlier on are we even able to to uh, talk about Vision Pro, the, given that Upload VR has VR in the name. We, we, I don't think Apple's going <gasps> oh, to no. actually... Yeah, I, I don't think Apple's going to extend their App Store policies that far to say that media items aren't able to... That would obviously be a problem for our friends at Road to VR as well. Let, let me... <laughs> let me. I want to paint a picture here of like balance and right... Like I'm... Like it's really hard to remove your own biases from anything you do, right? And But I am... I try, I try every day. Um, you gotta, rem- you gotta paint a picture here of me going to the Apple Vision Pro demo and pinching windows and moving them around and resizing them and instantly feeling a click that has never happened in a single moment of Meta software and having to be like faced with the competition of our biggest source. And having to say, well, uh, that was interesting. No, that's not what I said. They said, this is how it should be done. And this is silly that Meta hasn't been able to get there. Um, and that's, that's where we are, right? Like we're, we're going, these companies, as soon as this, we're February 2nd is when the learning really begins over at Meta. And that is a joke, right? Like that is another marketing joke, right? Uh, going back decades of, was it Xerox? Go get your copiers started. Um, that's what's going to happen as soon as this is on the market. Yeah, Meta made a really long-term affecting decision when they decided not to put eye tracking in Quest 3. This has been discussed to death, and we discussed it at the launch of Quest 3, but like copying the Apple Vision Pro interaction method, if this is something that people love, and, and we've talked about before how the people who have tried this, this uh, look with your eyes and pinch with your hands interaction system have described it as akin to telekinesis. It, it apparently just feels great and it just works in a way that direct touch doesn't because it's straining over time and that the kind of point with your hands and pinch, not your eyes, that we see as an alternative interaction method on Quest just isn't precise and, and feels kind of very clunky and, and awkward to do. If that happens, Meta can't just copy it. They have to release future hardware. They need to ship an, a headset with eye tracking. And what we are hearing and from the r- rumors and reports is that Meta is doing the opposite. They're not building a headset with more features. They're they're looking to build a Quest 3 Lite with even less. So given that However, you know, Quest 3 is probably going to be on the market for three years, that's going to, and they have to then support it from for years after it's uh, being shipped. For the rest of this decade, yeah. Meta is not going to be able to build around this interaction system. They are going to potentially have have, uh, developed themselves into a corner. 
And as we'll talk about very soon, you know, Apple Vision Pro uh, might induce companies like Samsung and Google to copy this, and Meta could be the odd one well, and the ugly duckling. Well, uh, we're going to need to move on to Snapdragon XR2 soon, and there's some really great comments here, and uh, yep. with uh, Blair saying uh, that Meta screwed up their user experience end-to-end. Uh, any, what comments did you want to call out? Just one last thing I wanted to say. Go, go Green Guillemot uh, said that if I'm going to try Vision Pro over in America, just don't get on a 737 Max 9. But I'm going to put this out here. If I know that there's a Vision Pro demo on the other end, I will get on a 737 Max 9. I will sit <laughs> in the row David, with the plug right. escape door. I'll do it. I'm putting that at the wait, wait. Put the camera on me. All right, David, I'm going to need you to fix the cameras in here as soon as possible. I want control over the cameras, darn it. I think I can do better than your AI cameras. I want I want it, but I, I need it to be away from the mute button. All right, but so let me just put that out there. But I want to share that the one time, like, David and I, we were on a plane together. The one time I think we ever flew together, he... He confessed to me, told me that if the plane had troubles, he could probably take over as pilot due to his hours in flight simulators. And I, I loved it and I held on to it until now, now. So you guys are all welcome for, for that one. Yeah, and whether you think that's uh, realistic or hubristic will depend, of course, on your opinion. I think there are a lot of men who hold the position that they could do that. You know, m- maybe you think that's true. Maybe it's not. Well, hopefully, we'll never have to find out. But yes, <laughs> let's finally talk about our final subject. Uh, oh my gosh. All right. So Snapdragon XR2 plus Gen 2. We had a briefing with Qualcomm directly with Hugo, the head of XR over there uh, in December, right before David and I disappeared into the mists of our holiday. Um, and we got into what this was. We held on to it until the embargo lifted. And now we've got the initial five partners listed in full. I'm going to let David take it from here because there's a lot of related subjects to dive into for me to take us all off on uh, tangents here. So let's let uh, David get into it. So if you didn't spot this last week on UploadVR.com, uh, Qualcomm announced the Snapdragon XR2 Plus Gen 2. And it's a higher-end version of the base XR2 Gen 2 that's in the Quest 3. And compared to that chip in the Quest 3, this one has the GPU clocked 15% higher, the CPU clocked 20% higher, and it supports 12 concurrent cameras up from 10. Now, 15% and 20% might not sound like a lot. It is a nice bump, but it's not, you know, a generational leap. This is just a a higher-end version of the Quest chipset but one of the really interesting things this chip does is actually increases the maximum display output resolution so that this can now support 4.3k per eye at 90 hertz or 3.7k per eye at 120 hertz so this chip can be used for headsets with 4k oled micro displays and just like yesterday sony announced that they are building a headset with this chipset for enterprise content creation, a 3D content creation that will use 4K OLED micro displays, or, you know, Sony has said 4K, so that might be near 4K displays like the Vision Pro. I suspect it's probably the same displays as Vision Pro. Uh, the other headsets that will use this chip are Immersed Visor. We've talked about that multiple times on this show, Immersed's 4K Visor. 
the Samsung Google headset, which is what this chip was apparently, you know, originally made for, and these other companies are kind of piggybacking on it. A yet to be announced headset from HTC Vive that we've speculated earlier in the show, maybe a Focus 4, a YVR headset in China. That that's just a Chinese standalone headset company. They don't sell outside China, so we don't really uh, know enough to really discuss that much. And of course, then the Sony headset. Notably absent from that list, of course, is Meta. Meta reportedly once did plan a Quest Pro 2 for 2024, but after the utter failure of the original Quest Pro, they decided to cancel that and instead aim for a more ambitious model of Quest Pro 2 in 2025 instead. Yeah, wonderful summary there. Um, I'm going to mention Devin Reamer's editorial. Uh, We have an editorial over on UploadVR.com from the former CEO and CTO over at Alchemy Labs. He's got his own company now called Astrobeam, making hand tracking games, uh, basically telling developers they need to have a plan for hand tracking. Um, I've also spoken to Andrew, uh, the current CEO over at Alchemy Labs, and Alchemy Labs is, of course, owned by Google. Um, and I got to try their demo. I got to try the latest hand tracking demo as of mid-2023 out of Alchemy Labs. And I wrote a story uh, about this demo. And it, it feels fundamentally, this was on Quest Tracking 2.1. What are we up to now on Quest Tracking? I think 2.2, I think. Yeah, 2.2 on Quest Tracking now. So I was using a generation previous tracking back then. And I felt like they probably could have pulled off Job Simulator entirely with hand tracking. They could they could turn on a button uh, with their system and activate hand tracking. And I'll feel like I'm grabbing all of the objects just like I was playing Job Simulator back in 2016. I put that question directly to Alchemy Labs about whether they felt like they've got it. And yes, they feel like they've got it. So this is a big deal to have a title that has this many physical interactions in the world around you saying that they think they've got it locked in. Now this was with quests version of tracking on quest two, right? This is last generation hardware. Now we've got even new generation hardware and we are discussing the idea, the prospect that Google could go and ship a VR headset with Samsung that has more power than a quest three and maybe, just maybe, focuses around hand tracking and eye tracking, just like the Apple Vision Pro. It yeah, this, yeah, thing, I think you this mean, sounds really exciting. If, yeah, right. Oh, I'm sorry. But uh, what I want to paint here is a system that is actually really interesting to me, if they do all of those things right. Actually killing Daydream, you know, Google never actually supported two sixed-off controllers. So they have nothing to kill off necessarily there because they did it a couple of years ago before they even got there. So there's there's actually a fresh start to do something based around hand tracking, even if a bunch of people in our audience are are bothered by that idea. Yeah, I think it's highly likely that the Samsung headset running Google's Android XR platform will indeed copy Apple's interaction method, you know, I, I don't say copy in a disparaging way. It, it's not like it's something that Apple uniquely thought of. People have been discussing this idea for, for years beforehand. Yeah, I think, yeah, it, it's very likely that 
we see on the consumer space, Quest left on its own when it comes to controllers. Uh, obviously, though, we did see the Sony headset being revealed yesterday of controllers. But to be crystal clear, these are controllers that are designed around the specific use case of 3D modeling and, and 3D collaboration and visualization and things like animation. And this is a headset that is designed for enterprise. It is not for gaming. It's not going to have a store full of standalone games. It is a, a niche product. And you know, I think we should probably talk what, about this a little bit because what people, do these cameras do, David? Those are the the color cameras, and the, those are the tracking cameras on the side. Just like just like a, a many other headsets you'd see, where you have Quest Three has its color cameras and tracking cameras. To, to be clear here, people are saying, you know, is the Sony headset going to feel? Is it going to succeed? It, it's not a competitor to Quest. It's not even a competitor to Vision Pro. It is carving out a very very clever niche of a high-end headset that still has controllers. Because as we've just said, Meta is skipping out on the high-end for this year. They only have their Quest 3 at $500, which has, you know, it's a great device. It has a lot of things going for it. It's an excellent VR headset, but there are ways in which there are compromises that Meta has made to hit the price point of $500. And when Sony develops a niche product like this, they can develop without having to get the bomb cost down to $400. They can develop to actually try and deliver the best possible experiences for the professionals that are using this headset. One of the things I really like about the design, if I can find the image here, is that it is flip up. So to view the real world in full quality or to start eating or drinking, you just flip it up. You don't have to take it off. That's going to be something that's really useful if you want professionals to, to actually use this at their desk. Sony has talked about how they are going to support uh, you know, split rendering. They haven't been clear about whether that just means you know virtual desktop style streaming or whether there's something more fancy going on here. But Again, to be crystal clear, this is something to be used by professionals as part of their 3D workflow so that they can very quickly visualize what they're working on, their 3D models, their CAD designs in, in you know, physical space in front of them at real scale rather than just seeing it on 2D monitor. And even with some productivity apps that they are, you know, promising they're, they're working on support for to be able to actually use these controllers to manipulate them. And we've been saying for years at Upload VR and so have many in the industry that 3D content creation is just ideal for headsets. Until now, there's been issues around control fidelity and resolution and practicality and just software support. But with a company like Sony, pushing into this space and really trying to invest i expect we're going to see headsets like this trickle into th the 3d creation workflow uh throughout the 3d industry i think everyone is wondering where is playstation 5 and the psvr 2 here why why was this why was this announced without any gaming component whatsoever yeah, so this is, you know, there are different divisions within Sony, different subsidiaries. This is the Sony Electronics, not Sony Interactive Entertainment that makes PlayStation. This headset uses, you know, that XR2 Plus Gen 2 chip and near 4K OLED micro displays. It will probably cost $2,000, if not more. The, the kind of technology that's in this is not suitable for the, the price point that you want to sell a PlayStation VR 2 at. But it, yeah, it does seem strange that, you know, Sony is obviously delivering this incredible technology and hasn't really said anything about, uh, you know, PlayStation VR. Eh, it, it's it's just easier to understand that these are two very, very different 
products. If, if Quentin M just asked in the comment, is a consumer level? I thought it was enterprise. I think we've said about three times now, this is an enterprise only headset. Yeah, and I, I appreciate David. David is so careful at trying to specify these things that are above a thousand dollars as always enterprise uh, at every level because that's an instant, you know, turn off for a lot of people. Of just, I'm not interested in it. Let me know when it's interesting to me. Um, and I, the, the the reason I started with the PlayStation question is just what is the hope for Sony ever producing a standalone platform to compete with MetaQuest? Is there any ever any hope? So I, had the, I think there's two different questions here, a headset or a platform, right? What Samsung is doing is they are releasing a headset, but they are letting Google work on a platform. Google being, you know, a software company that already has the Google Play Store, so they can automatically bring over all Android tablet apps, just like Apple is bringing automatically over all iPad apps. Google will then obviously work with presumably game developers and, you know, entertainment providers to bring in actual spatial content or XR content or whatever you want to call it. Now, Samsung is clearly Google's first exclusive partner, but I would not be surprised to see many other companies join in. You know, we've heard that LG might be working with Meta on Quest Pro 2, but that does leave companies like Sony. It is possible that somewhere down the line, be it two years, three years, five years, we see a headset that is is sort of evolved from that enterprise headset that runs the Google's consumer software instead and is there as an alternative to Samsung. But reportedly, Samsung is the exclusive partner for now. And it's arguable that it's harder to build a platform than it is to build hardware. There is this situation now where if you do want to compete with Quest, as we've seen with Pico and we've seen with HTC, it's not building the hardware that's the hard part. It's building the software platform, the core tra- tech, the tracking, the pass-through uh, uh, reprojection technology, the games uh, from developers and building all that out and investing the billions, frankly, in content that Meta has invested to get the Quest store to where it is today. The thing that I, I'm obsessed with or, or thinking about all the time now is how much does it cost to pay a developer to port to one of these future systems? Um, and the problem with that question is it's a very different number if the game was built for hand tracking from the ground up or if the game has to be uh, retrofitted for hand tracking from controller tracking. So you you've got this situation where meta is in the lead on its own with what a, a slightly less powerful chip, but more, more engineers or more years of investment building optimizations for that chip. And they, they're going like, it's still going to be what's frustrating to me here is, is, Everyone has the same experience here with Quest 3 of, of hitches in the user interface, of a couple seconds of lag between starting an app and getting it to actually open up. And it's totally unclear whether it's the chip that's restricting us or it's the software that's actually restricting us. And I don't care if it's the XR2 Plus Gen 2 or the XR2 Gen 2, having a smooth VR experience that no matter what I do, I never experience those hitches is the VR headset that I want. It's the standalone system that I think everyone out there wants. And I don't know if Google's going to get there first with this chip. 
So I strongly suspect that it's the software. I think Meta's software is very poorly optimized. The reason I say that is because when I try the Pico 4, which uses the original uh, XR2 that's used in Quest 2, the responsiveness in there is the same as, and in some cases, better than Quest 3 when it comes to their system software. But let's talk a little bit about the, the performance here and, and, you know, talk about how much is this different? You know, when you say it's slightly better chip, let's, let's try to quantify this or at least visualize it for our, our viewers here and build on a comment from uh, James O'Loughlin who asked, you know, is this Qualcomm's chip that takes on Apple's M2? Uh, you know, are they, are they closing the gap there like they've promised with some of their other chips? And the answer depends on whether you're talking about the CPU or the GPU. So if you look at this first chart here, and hopefully it shows on screen. Uh, okay, it's not showing on screen. Let me try again. Yes, here we go. You can see the, the relative peak CPU performance as it's evolved from the original Oculus Quest 1 that used the Snapdragon 835 through to the original XR2 from Quest 2. Then here you see the XR2 Gen 2 that's in Quest 3. And finally, the XR2 Plus Gen 2 that's in the uh, Samsung headset and the Sony headset. Well, what you can see here is that the biggest jump in CPU was from the original Quest to Quest 2, that original XR2. And from there, the gains have been there. They're, they're not insignificant. They're not zero, but they're more marginal. And during this time, Apple has, has delivered a much much larger increase in CPU performance. The biggest gap between Qualcomm and Apple is the CPU performance here. And this is where these headsets will struggle from developers. But it's a very different story when we come to the GPU. And as you can see here, we, we, we put these charts at the same scale relative from the original Snapdragon 835 that's in the original Oculus Quest. There have been much larger increases in the GPU performance. And when you get to this XR2 Plus Gen 2, the GPU is actually essentially roughly on par with what you would get in the base Apple M2 that is in Vision Pro. And what you see here is that while, yes, there was a large relative gain to the original XR2, the real crazy leap was to from the Gen 1 to Gen 2 that you see in Quest 3. We've talked about this many times before. It's the reason we don't recommend Quest 2 anymore, even though it's at a great price. It's because with Quest 2, you're getting this GPU performance over here. And with Quest 3, you get to here. Now, this new headset uh, the, from Samsung, these headsets from Sony, it's an increase. But on the grand scale of things, you're still getting the vast majority of the GPU performance with Quest 3. And while we've got this chart up there, if there was an XR3, which there is no XR3, and that's actually part of our reporting here, is that Qualcomm has said the market doesn't appear to support an XR3 uh, product line from them, which essentially says they don't have customers coming to them saying, we need a chip that's going to exactly match the M class. It, it seems to me like that's what people saying, we're, t we're taking a few years to wait and see what Apple does uh, before we go uh, and need a chip at that class. Um, and I wonder, I wonder if Meta will produce its own on any time scale. But an XR3, we, it would, we would hope or we would think that an XR3 would have a bar that would be way, way, way bigger. This whole thing would be scaled out much bigger if an XR3 was on there, right? 
So for the GPU, not so much, but where Qualcomm does have a huge opportunity if they were to spin up a separate XR3 product line is in the CPU. And, and this comes down to what we expected Qualcomm might have announced last week, and it didn't turn out to be the case. We thought that they might announce an XR3 line that uses the Orion custom CPU cores that Qualcomm now has as part of their Nuvia acquisition from a few years ago. Nuvia being this startup of ex-Apple CPU engineers and Google CPU engineers that went off to build these custom cores. These chipsets that are in the vast majority, that are in all uh, Android smartphones that use Snapdragon chips, these CPU cores are only semi-custom. They're actually very closely based on ARMS-based designs. But with these custom Orion CPU cores that Qualcomm has just recently announced are going into their laptop chips, you would get a bar that's all the way over here that is way, way, way beyond what you're seeing in these. And that is, as I've said before, the huge gap between Apple and Qualcomm. It's this CPU performance. If we did get an XR3 line, if it did use those Orion cores, you would get a massive increase in CPU performance. That said, it would also very, very likely drive up the PAR envelope. And what Qualcomm's head of VR and AR, uh, I think Qualcomm, I'm not sure if they use the term XR, but it's not important for this discussion. What he has said is that a huge advantage of the current XR2 lineup is that it can easily be put into headsets with integrated batteries that are fully tetherless, whereas the Vision Pro, for all its CPU power, it's so power hungry that you need this tethered external battery. And there's obviously a fierce debate here within the industry, and I'm sure in our comments about, is that the right thing? Uh, I personally not convinced that the, the, the increased friction of having this constant tether that's going down to your pocket is 100% worth it for all cases, especially for active gaming and fitness. But some people argue that the advantages that it gets you are worth it. The point is that it is a, a trade-off and it is something that needs to be noted. And if, if we do want Vision Pro competitors that have the same CPU performance, they're probably also going to have to have an external tethered battery. Very, very interesting breakdown there. Thank you so much for that, David. Uh, really diving into it. A couple of people in our comments asking about Valve and that was... There was a period here where we wondered if the final partner for this chipset would have been Valve to be announced at CES, uh, and it ended up being Sony with this uh, unusual, unexpected, non-PSVR2 system coming from them. So you've got Google and Samsung and Sony and Meta all aligned on the same mobile chipset vendor. They're They're not using the same generation chips. They're not using them in the same configurations are using different sensors different uh even ui systems built around those sensors but they're getting closer and they're starting to align um developers let me think about let, let me frame it this way if you had let's say a quest quest 3 game and it ran only on quest 3 would it be harder for you and it runs with controllers on Quest uh, 3. Would it be harder for you to bring that game over to PlayStation VR 2 or to bring it over to a headset uh, like this one, like the like Samsung one with hand tracking only? 
It's a, it's a great question. From from an engine perspective and a performance perspective, um, it's obviously going to be easier to bring it over to PlayStation VR 2. I think the main complaint developers have when porting to PlayStation VR 2 is not really on the technical side of things, especially for the developers using Unity, but it, it's on the uh, sort of policy side of things. Sony's uh, getting access to the SDK for PlayStation VR 2 is something that requires contacting Sony. You then have to go through this very stringent store process. We've heard in past months developers that have had their releases delayed because Sony hasn't re- uh, hasn't reviewed their app on time. And, you know, even getting updates out can be a huge hassle. For, for the, all the ways in which people somewhat describe Quest as a closed platform, like... It's not really at all. Quest is a semi-open platform. Anyone can grab the the SDKs for Quest for free instantly and start developing. Anyone can build an app and sideload it onto their headset. They can distribute it on SideQuest. And with relatively little friction and bureaucracy, they can get it onto the App Lab, assuming they follow Meta's policies. Getting your app onto PlayStation VR 2, even getting the SDK for PlayStation VR 2, is a bigger headache than that by far. So that's the huge issue there. But obviously, from a design perspective, if we are correct in saying, in, a, in not saying, in speculating, and to be crystal clear, this is speculation, that Samsung's headset will not include tracked controllers, and again, speculation, then that's going to be a much bigger design challenge for developers if they are building a game today around controllers. And that is obviously what that editorial that we ran from from Devon uh, really discussed, that, that if this is going to be the case, developers need to start to work on this now. Yeah, so people commenting on my face and eye tracking. And uh, yeah, so I had a hair uh, inside the headset as it happens from time to time. I refitted the headset, removed the hair, and now I think my eye and hand and face tracking is better. Um I, I want to go back to this timeline that you talked about with these chips and think about it a little bit. See if we're see if we're able to zero in or at least come up with a like a theory here about what happened. So did Meta get really deep into the the development of the Quest Pro and realize that the codec avatars weren't going to be driven at the quality they needed to be? Like they weren't going to be able to close the gap with codec avatars on Quest Pro. And they they had to sort of lose some functionality out of the device at some point. Like, do you think that happened? Uh, beyond that, this 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 did they did they cancel this supposed Quest Pro two because they realized it wasn't going to get there with codec avatars? Did Apple um, introducing Vision Pro prove to them that they're actually on the right track with photorealistic avatars and they need to build a product entirely around it? Is that what's happening here? And can they do it at a lower price? Where where this is all going with, with me trying to understand is the timeline here, right? Apple Vision Pro theoretically got like pushed out of the time period when Apple was making M2s. Now they're moving on to the M3 line of chipsets, which should hypothetically power an entire new family of Apple devices. Over on the the only other device maker making chips for headsets right now would be Qualcomm. And so Qualcomm is powering the engine of every competitor. And if no one is going to build an XR3 in the next few years, 
then everyone is either going to have to rely on the XR2 Gen 2 or the XR Plus Gen 2. And what are they actually going to be able to do compared to the, the Apple headset in that time period? Well, one thing we don't know is what Qualcomm's current release cadence is going to be for the XR2 line. So it it was three years between Gen 1 and Gen 2. And But we do know that the smartphone chips that these are loosely based on now, the original was heavily based on, but this one is loosely based on, they release every year. Qualcomm comes out with a new one every year. And every two years or so, they uh, sometimes three years, they, they go to a new process you know from like seven nanometer to four nanometer for example i wonder if what we might see when it comes to this rumored 2025 quest pro 2 could be that by then they're on xr2 gen 3 so it could be that it uses like an xr2 plus gen 3 by then and qualcomm moves to a two-year cadence instead of a three-year cadence and that would enable a faster evolution of the standalone XR slash basal computing industry. So, but it's also possible that Quest Pro 2 comes out in 2025 and it just uses this chip. And it's in the same way that Quest Pro came out in 2022 using the XR2 Plus Gen 1, which, you know, by then its core architecture was two years old. There are, you know, we, we do know from certain insider reports that Meta does have an issue with just shipping things in a timely manner. And that all of these headsets we see today you know, Quest 3 was designed years and years and years ago, just like the original uh, Oculus Quest, you know, began development in late 2016. And just like the the Quest 2, Meta has this very, very, very long time between designing hardware and actually shipping it. And that's something that these specialized hardware companies like Samsung and Sony and LG are much, much quicker at doing. And they are they are far better at getting from design to ship. Mm. While you were getting into all that, I think we're moving to the end of the show here, but I think this is going to become a theme, this XR2 versus XR3, and the fact that you've suggested we might get a XR2 Gen 3 before an XR3. I'm thinking back to the conversation you and I had with Qualcomm, and we tried, I mean, do, do please become a member, support our work, uh, I sat there with David on the phone with Qualcomm and we put very hard questions to them to try to understand exactly where they are in the market. And they're they're guarded, right? They're not going to give anything away. And we have to read the tea leaves a little bit on what they're saying. And this, this single comment that the market can't support an XR3 feels, feels, feels wrong. What it feels wrong in, in the sense of, uh, to me, is that it there's only one company willing to spend enough money to make an XR3 a, a a feasible option. Qualcomm's market, everything Qualcomm has done for the last five years is show a big chart with 30 partners on there and promising that those 30 partners were going to deliver a bunch of VR headsets. But again and again and again, David and I have noticed only one company really makes a mark on that big chart that Qualcomm shows. It's meta because they're investing so much in the hardware and the software to drive those systems. I don't think anybody but meta is willing to, to need an XR3. If, if like, that's, that's where I'm going with this. Like if, if only meta is willing to have an XR3, 
and willing to pay that kind of money to Qualcomm, it actually doesn't make sense to Qualcomm to go and manufacture for just that one company because they need to have three or four companies going and paying for the XR3. And I just don't think anyone is willing to invest at that level. My theory is slightly different. I think you're somewhat right. And I do think your point about Meta being the, the, the driver of the vast majority of XR chips shipments is absolutely correct. You know, something probably on the order of 90% of headsets that use the XR chips from Qualcomm are, are from Meta. But I think I think it's more that I suspect that the Samsung headset will drop it somewhere around $2,000, complete speculation to be crystal clear. But I think it's that only Apple can get away with charging $3,500. I don't think any of these other companies are doing that. And I think if you start building a headset that, that actually justifies a, a XR3 product line and uses it and actually, you know, integrates that and, and tries to take on Vision Pro in every possible way, you're going to get that kind of pricing. And I just don't think anyone else currently has the software to justify it. You know, like, yeah, if you ship codec avatars in a Quest Pro 2, sure. But you're st- all of that is still happening on the same Quest system software that we complain about every single week. And it's still bogged down by all of that meta slugware. And it's just not going to have all of those iPad apps and all of those uh, sort of Vision OS uh, in, in unique capabilities that Apple is able to do because they own the software stack from end to end. And once companies like Samsung and, and Meta can deliver a par-for-par experience, then they can start charging $3,500. And that's when maybe, to give Qualcomm credit, that's when the market potential becomes mm. Yeah, wonderful discussion. Thank you so much, David, for all your hard work getting all this news out. Thank you so much to our audience for tuning in. Uh, it's been a fantastic discussion. I uh, Meta Slugware, yeah, I appreciate our commenters noting uh, David's coined phrase here. I don't know where he stole it from, but I'm going to give him credit for it. Uh, wonderful, wonderful term. And it's going to sit in all of our brains as we as we enjoy our time inside of MetaQuest. We're going to think about Meta's slugware. Uh, we'll see you next week. We might do a show later in this week from CES. We're still undecided on exactly how we're going to cover the demos and the things going on at CES, but that's something you might want to tune in for. Uh, We will be back next week on Tuesday, same time, same place. We're going to try to make this regular. Thank you all for tuning in, even though we were 30 minutes late. And thank you to our listeners on the podcast for tuning in. We'll see you in the future. Thanks so much, everyone. Again, as Ian said, great discussion in the comments. We love it. Please join us again on Tuesday. We love doing this. We love hearing from you. We love talking to you. It's been a big week of news, and let's hope that it's another big week of news for XR, or is it spatial? Thanks so much, everyone.